Storygram Network. Hosting for this podcast is generously provided by Transistor at Transistor.fm. If you would like It's Not About Food podcasts a week earlier and ad-free, please support me on patreon.com forward slash It's Not About Food. For more information about my books, my work, and my body love cards, you can go to my website at itsnotaboutfood.com. Hi, my name is Laura Lee, and this is It's Not About Food. So it's not about food, and it's not about weight. What is it about? Everything else. Because it's never ever about food, or weight, never ever, not even, one time, not ever, ever, ever. Hello, everyone. This is Laura Lee Rourke from It's Not About Food podcast. Thank you so much for coming to listen to our show today. And we're going to be talking about something that I think is very, very important that we in this culture don't often talk about, which is money. (laughs) Money is a tool. Money is a great thing. Money is fabulous. And so many of us I should speak for myself, I was not taught how to deal with money really in a realistic and recovered way. I used money to take care of myself emotionally, and I just wasn't very smart about it. But I didn't learn how to be smart about it. I didn't even know how to write a check until I was married. (laughs) Of course, I'm old enough to know that I could not have a checking account until I was married and my husband signed on that account. So that's how long ago that was. And yeah, so I didn't have any idea about it. And I really always trusted other people to deal with money and to deal with what to do about money and how to have money. Anyway, so today we have the person who prepared Pairs my taxes, a tax lawyer, and she's so great and has written a wonderful book about it. And she really has a great little blog and a newsletter she sends out about women and money and people and money. She's got a couple of ones that I've seen that are really specifically about women and what we do or don't know about money and saving and how to create wealth for ourselves. So I'm going to introduce my next guest, Lillian, and she's going to tell you a little bit about herself and what she does in the world of, I can't even talk about it right now on my own podcast. It's like sort of, how do we work with this that's in a very recovered and smart way? As we talked before, I have a real passion and a mission to help women. One of the things that I have found is that in researching that 73% of people that live in poverty over the age of 65 are women. And they were not when they were working and they were not when they were married. So there's some decisions we're making as women that is not the right decisions to make. And even though sometimes we know we're supposed to do something, 
we somehow don't take that action to do something. We don't take advantage of a 401k or we don't take advantage of some things that we could be doing that might be able to protect ourselves. So this is a big passion of mine to really work with women. And you start with envisioning, one, if you have debt, no debt, okay? So you need to decide what is your life going to look like in a year, two years, five years. It's about planning. It's about focusing on that specifically. And then you have to take some steps to doing something like that. And you move towards first dealing with high interest because that's where your money's just flying out the door. Taxation is extremely important. We've got to make sure that you don't end up with taxes, but you don't want to overpay either because that's not a good use of money. You lose money because you're paying the state or the federal government money that you gave to them in a certain inflationary time. When you get it back, your dollar is not as valuable. So it's really important to learn how to minimize that and not to have huge refunds because that's not the best use of your money. I know. So many people use that tax refund as their savings savings. account, but they didn't get any interest on it. No. (laughs) And they either have to spend a lot of hours doing their own tax return and hope that their taxes are correct, or they have to hire me or someone like me that they have to pay to get taxes done so that they can get their refund back. So it's not the best use of your money. So one of those things we need to correct some of that, some of these things that people are doing that's a comfort zone, but it's not a building of wealth comfort zone. It's just comfort for what they're doing. And it it continues the, the same steps over and over again. You're just continuing that. In my book also, when we're looking at debt, And to reduce it is one of the things you have to do, like you talked about, when things maybe they're anxious or whatever, they go out and spend money that they don't have. And so they raise up their credit cards or they borrow more money. The thing is, is you've got to take time to say, do I need it or do I want it? And if I need it, then you might want to consider, okay, maybe this is the right choice. But if you want it, You need to say no, not until you get your debt down. So you've got to make a little bit of sacrifice on your emotion, but you've got to ask that question. I'm looking at a gift for someone maybe, and you want to spend $150 because that would be a great gift or $200 for a great gift, but it puts you in debt. So you got to think, okay, what can I get for $20? That's affordable for me. That's really the reality, even though it would be nice to give that big gift. Or I'm looking at a dress that I would really love to have. But do I have something in my closet that I can make do with and I still look great in because I bought it years ago and it still fits and it's looking great. So why not use that? Because you don't need it. You just want it. So what is is something that really eats up at us that we go after things we want without planning it. And there's a difference between just spontaneously just buying it automatically because I want it. Then, yeah, I want it, but I want to save for it. I want to make sure I can afford it and I'll get it maybe next month or I'll get it in two months. Right. Or a year. 
Yeah, what you're talking about is how we work with recovering from an eating disorder or anything of, we have to have a relationship with it. For instance, an alcoholic, if they get recovery, they never have to have a relationship with alcohol again. But if you have a debtor addiction, say a retail addiction, you have to have a relationship with your money in order to get through that. And you have to ask those questions. Do I want this or do I need it? And for me, I see a lot of my clients and I was the same way is that I was wanting the wanting. A lot of times once I got it, I didn't even care about it anymore. It was very weird like that. It was the wanting. And it happens a lot with all of us. Yeah. It's amazing how we do that. And it's really important to envision your life and how you want it to live it. And maybe it's painful at first, but once you get it all organized and once you get the money issue where you understand what is best for you, because just like being in an airplane, right? They tell you to put that mask on first and then help somebody. You can't help anyone if you're not doing that first. Same thing with money, actually, and in many different things as well, that it's really important to take care of yourself. You need to be taken care of. Then you can afford to get that gift for $200. You can afford to go on a at the restaurant of your favorite restaurant. You can't afford to take people out. You can't afford, but you got to first take care of you and make sure that you are prepared for emergencies. So one of the things we deal with is, do you have emergency money? One of the things we like to get people to do is at least put $1,000 away. Then we start paying down the debt, but we got to keep that $1,000. You can't touch that $1,000. You've got to be committed to $1,000 and just leave it there. And then pay down your debt. Then once that debt is paid down, add to the $1,000 so that you always feel good about what you're doing. There was a story I read a while back that this lady saw this barrel of apples that she could get real cheap, huge barrel of apples. And she goes, oh my gosh, I can make all kinds of wonderful things with this barrel of apples. She goes to the market, she buys this barrel of apples, and she starts picking the apples that are not lasting, right? They're going to go bad. So she's making applesauce, and she's making pies, and she's making juice, and she's making all these things. And when she was done with the barrel, she never ate a crispy apple. (laughs) So it's really important. Exactly. Yes, you can do all that, but in moderation, like anything else, right? And so you've got to once in a while reward yourself with that crispy apple. That $1,000 is your reward. That's crispy apple. That makes you feel good. Yes. You know, it occurred to me when you were talking about this, most women, or I shouldn't say a general statement that most, a lot of people, we've been taught to actually give those apples away, not to keep them for ourselves. Like you're saying, it was a revelation for me to put the mask on myself first, because I know that I would be around that plane trying to help everyone else. And that is, again, how I was 
raised. I'm supposed to be of service. I'm supposed to help other people. I'm supposed to give away what I have. And that was a whole learning that I had to have in my recovery that I need to make sure that I'm okay and take care of myself. Then I can help others. That was a big revelation to me. And it's extremely important because you really can't help anybody if you can't help yourself first. It's it's self-love. You've got to love yourself because you can't love other people otherwise. You really can't. You don't know what love is about. You can't really love if you don't first love you and care about you so that then you can care for other people. If you would like to have a weekly newsletter that has some information about recovery or what people are doing in the world or what I'm doing in the world and just information about how to recover and what to do and how do we have faith and trust and love and openness to our own selves, you can go to my website at itsnotaboutfood.com. Storygram Network. Welcome to One Media, One Media. I. It's a place I like to call The Bleed. My name is Laura Lee, and this is It's Not About Food. Storygram Network. I joined Beyond Hunger about three years ago after my own eating disorder recovery. I've been with the Peer Ed program for over a year. I have been a peer educator for a few weeks now. Beyond Hunger is an amazing organization in which high schoolers like me get to go to schools across the Bay Area and educate teens and students on mental health, body image, intuitive eating. And I joined because it really helps people. I joined the program because I believe that the information we provide people my age is very important. Beyond Hunger has allowed me to connect with the youth in my community and reaffirm to myself what I know is true. It has given me an opportunity to educate others and inform others around my age. Um, And I just think it's a really wonderful program. Because I want to teach other teens what I never learned. Appreciating your body through its ups and downs, navigating diet culture, and learning about intuitive emotions and hunger. And I felt that it was super important to continue to make change in the community. My name is Laura Lee Rourke, and I am one of the founders of Beyond Hunger. My business partner, Carol Normandy, and I founded it in 1988. But for the last 25 years, we've been going into schools and talking about the issue of eating disorders and body hatred. We um, train young women to go in with us, peer to peer, student to student, and it is a wonderful program. Please give generously. Thank you. But again, the way that this culture works in so many ways is that you're not supposed to care for yourself. You're supposed to just give all everything sacrifice. you have. Sacrifice everything. And the other thing that I wanted to say was that this whole idea of delayed satisfaction, right? Because a lot of people with eating disorders or addictions or issues that they're having that they need sort of, sort of handle on or some understanding of is that they see it's, I want it now. And to like wait feels like you're going to die or that thing's going to be gone or whatever it is. And it's really a matter of 
maturity in a lot of ways. I feel like for me it was, but I had to like grow up a little bit to know that this will always be here, whatever it is, or something better. So wait. And meanwhile, don't stress yourself out by overstretching yourself to get this thing that you may not even want in a year. And you may not have paid for it. It may take <laughs> yes. longer than a year to pay for it. Exactly. Unless you're looking at 29.9% or you're looking at 32% interest rates, which allows you not to pay it off at all. It takes forever for it to go down. It's on sale, so I'll get it now. And it's like, well, once you put the interest rates in there, is it really on sale anymore? (laughs) Not unless you can make a commitment that you're going to pay for it in a month's time. So when the bill comes, you're prepared to pay for it. Now, if you can do that, yes, it's okay. But if you can't say, okay, I'm going to buy this item, it's on sale, I'm making a deal. The bill comes, you've got a month to gather that money. The bill comes, you pay it on time, and you get it paid off. It's not worth it. I do other things too, like I have learned to do things by 90 days. I like buying an appliance of some sort, either an oven or a refrigerator or even furniture. Like a and big I ticket like item. I it off in 90 days. That way, sometimes they're longer than that, but I usually 90 days, even if they give me 12 months, I usually like that 90 day I've gotten myself used to, okay, I can do this if I pay it off in 90 days because there's no interest. I paid zero interest and I got what I needed or wanted. And sometimes it's a broken refrigerator. You don't have any choice, right? The thing breaks down and what do you do now? Because it can't be fixed any longer. So it's doing that too. It's looking for possibilities of buying things on a certain plan that makes you save money, but still gets you what you need, like a refrigerator or washing machine and dryer. They break down. And then, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? But if you can qualify for that, that's one of the best ways to do that because it's usually something, you know, that happens to you. It breaks down and there's no choice. What do you do now? Your refrigerator is not working anymore. So those are ideas that I think people should use because they're out there and you can get them for about 90 days. Sometimes they give you longer than that, six months. But 90 days is a good rule of thumb to do. That way you can get it done. And then you've got your refrigerator or your dryer and washing machine and those items that are bigger items that only happen once in a great while. So how do you work with women? You said that you're passionate about helping women with their money and making sure that they're okay. So say like you get a client who's husband died and they used to have a nice big house and a car and all kinds of stuff. And then their husband died and all of a sudden their money is in the toilet for whatever reason at 65 or 70. How do you help that person get it together? Well, the the first thing we do is we have a complimentary at least 30 minutes. Sometimes I go over that because there's a need for that. So there's a 30 minute complimentary that we talk about whether or not we're the good fit that I'm going to be able to help them or they even want to work with me because sometimes personalities don't always work well together. It just depends. And we look at all the data and all the information. And 
I ask a lot of questions to make sure that they understand what they have and what they don't have and where we're going to have to start cutting back and what's the best use of what they have left and what needs to happen in order to make sure that they are protected, that they are not left so poor that they're only on Social Security because some women have never worked or if they have worked, they don't have pensions. There's a lot of women that have no pension. And so they're left with nothing. You know, sometimes the spouse has made decisions like, I'm going to take all of my pension because we'll eventually get life insurance for me. And then you'll get that when I die and you'll be taken care of. That life insurance never gets bought for that to replace that pension. So he's using all of his pension or the wife could do that too. And the wife does too, maybe uses all her pension because now it's a bit of a reverse. Women and now some women who are in the corporate world do have good pensions and some men don't. So it's it's been kind of a switch, but most of the time it's women that don't have good pensions. So if a decision has been made when a spouse retires and he or she takes the full amount, there's nothing left for the spouse. It's gone. If they die, yeah. If the spouse dies that had the pension, there's nothing for that spouse that's still surviving. So they're left with nothing. And if the life insurance wasn't bought to replace that, then it doesn't happen, right? Someone's in poverty. A lot of times what happens is we don't talk to each other about what's really going on. So if I'm dealing with couples, I want both of them there. So we talk about everything that's happened and what's going on and where are we at and what are we going to do and what are some of the decisions we do. On a pension, you have six choices you can make. That's a lot of different choices that you have to make when you get a pension. And I like to get people when they're looking at that pension so they understand the choices they're making and what's going to happen if they choose this one or that one. It's really important that they understand. I really love what you just said. You know, I think that a lot of people, especially in this area, will think, I don't need my husband's or my wife's pension because we have a house in California. Our house is going to be a lot. But then where do you live then? Right. Most houses are three to $4,000 a month. And that's one of the first questions I ask because people ask me all the time, well, I should sell, should I sell my residence? My first question is, where are you going to live? Are you moving out of state? What are you doing? What's the idea? What going to live in your car? By the time, even though you get $250,000 off as an exemption, or you get a half a million off, if the house is worth a million five, you may still have taxable gain. And if you have a mortgage, you may end up with very little money to buy another house or go anywhere, believe it or not. And I've done calculations for people and they're thinking, oh my gosh, I don't have enough money to buy another house. Yeah. What am I going to do? And at that point, if they're retired already, they may not have any money to even pay for, let's say they, they're able to put a hundred or $200,000 down, they wouldn't have the income to do the payments. So selling your home may not be the right decision to make. 
That is something that you've got to, as you said, you've got to really reflect and understand what's happening with this home and where are you going to live next? I love this discussion and I want to wrap it up by saying, so for instance, I'm working with the emotional, you're working with the emotional too, but on a very nuts and bolts way. I'm working in this kind of airy fairy, erythial way of what are your feelings and where are we going to go with that? And then you're like, you need to do this and this and this and this. So I'm wondering if you get a client and she comes in or he comes in and says, I make a lot of money, but I spend it all. And what do I start to do? So you're saying the first thing would be get a thousand bucks in the bank. Absolutely. Because that's your reward. That's your first reward. You've got to do that. You've got to be able to do that first. A minimum payments for maybe, hopefully you can get it done in a month's time. For a month, you get $1,000 in and then you start paying it down. You pay your minimum payments because you don't want to mess up your credit. Minimum payments, and I would automatically do those whether you pay more or not because you never know when you can miss a payment and that messes up your credit. So I do automatically, everything is my minimum payment. I do, period. And then I do more because I also get an alert. Okay, it's time to make your payment. I know there's an automatic already on that, so that's not a problem. But can I make a bigger payment to make sure I pay the whole thing off? But I always have an automatic because we don't want to get the penalty of not paying on time. And then on top of that, mess up your credit. You just need one of those and it just messes it all up. And sometimes you have a lower interest rate, but if you miss a payment, then they go all the way back up. up. Right. And then you don't even know that happened or whatever. And one other thing, people switch credit cards. That can be very dangerous. Yes. Because for one, you're going to get too many credit cards and then you forget which ones you did what with. But what can be dangerous about that also is if you switch credit cards, you lose your record because it's a different company. So if you've been with a company for 10 years and you've had a great record, but you miss one payment... They'll forgive you. Of course. Yeah. But if you just got a new credit card and you switched the balance over to that new credit card and you close the other one down, now you've got a whole new program and you miss one and they could request the credit card back where you don't even have credit anymore. This is a very dangerous game to play. If you're just switching, don't close it out. If you're just switching it to get a better interest, that's one thing. But don't close out the one you've had for a long time because there's a record there. That can cause you some grief if you close that down. Yeah. And these are things people don't even think about. I know that I've had clients say, well, it's free money because there's no interest. And it's not really free money because... Sooner or later, they're not doing this because they're your uncle or your brother. They're a company. (laughs) They're making money. (laughs) They're not doing this because they like you. No, they're making money. (laughs) Right. And yeah, so those are such good, helpful hints that I work with people of like, why is it not okay for you to wait to get something? Or what is it about that you can't have... A savings account. What is it about with that for you? Because a lot of women, we've been taught 
that we're just not supposed to even know that much about money. Shouldn't worry our pretty little heads about that, you know. We do live in a culture that's very male-oriented, and they run the money, and we run the house. But that doesn't work anymore, and I don't even know if it ever did work, really. I don't think it ever did work because it put a lot of women in jeopardy. I really think that it has to be, if you're a couple, you need to work together as a couple because both of you have to be have the same mindset. Both of you have to focus on what is the game that you're playing or the long game, the long range situation, your long life that you got together and you've got to do it together when you're married. I agree. So helpful. So how do people get a hold of you? And also tell me the name of your book. It's called Wealthy, Healthy Money and Your Financial Long Game. You can go online. You can get it on Amazon, but you can also go online. MyersFinancial.com is my website. There's all kinds of things there for you. And you can also call our office at 707-935-1124 and make a complimentary appointment. We'd love to talk to you. Can be conference virtual, or you can come face-to-face. So great. And thank you so very much for being on the show today. I really do appreciate it. And I know, if nothing else, this is going to be very helpful for a lot of people just to get the most basic things down, like we talked about. It's not like we're changing the world, but we're changing our own world if we can get some of this stuff dialed in. So I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. And thank you for inviting me. I appreciate that as well. Okay, and we'll see you later. Thanks. Thank you for listening. You can find me on all the social medias at It's Not About Food. And if you would like to get the show a week early and ad-free, you can become a member at Patreon. Search It's Not About Food podcast. Thanks so much. Thanks so much.